This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The now former president, Donald Trump, has been acquitted in his Senate impeachment trial, the second impeachment trial that president faced. So was it all for naught? Does this have any implications for future impeachments? Cato's Gene Healy performs the autopsy of this second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. So just in time for Valentine's Day and President's Day, the Senate acquitted Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial in about a year. Uh, This vote was 57 to 43. That is 10 votes shy of the required two-thirds majority of members of the Senate, but uh, seven Republicans voted with uh, all the Democrats to convict a president of their party. So uh, that is the most bipartisan presidential impeachment vote in history. So we should say, hooray, question mark. Right on. Uh, Yeah, it holds that title really only on a technicality. Uh, So maybe we should hold the champagne. Uh, The technicality is that Richard Nixon uh, quit, skipped town before the full house could vote. Uh, But a number of Republicans did get to vote on articles of impeachment for Richard Nixon. The House Judiciary Committee passed three of them. And there were 17 Republicans on that committee, and seven of them voted for at least one article of impeachment, uh, the same amount, seven out of 17 instead of seven out of 50. On top of which, the other 10, uh, Nixon had held back the smoking gun tape uh, with evidence of him trying to use the CIA to suppress the Watergate investigation. Uh, Once that tape came out after the vote, the remaining 10 all said they were going to vote for impeachment. And then the Barry Goldwater and the Republican congressional leadership went and told him, you know, time's up. So when you compare uh, just a handful, uh, you know, 14 percent of the GOP caucus in the Senate on extremely serious charges compared to the numbers that you had uh, in the Nixon case, uh, it seems clear that this uh, that this is nothing really to write home about in terms of uh, bipartisanship. So I was scanning Twitter and uh, the, the Facebook pages of various members of the U.S. Senate, particularly Republican members, because I just wanted to get a sense of you know how they explain this. Almost all of them did so on procedural grounds that I could see. That's right. But notably, Mitch McConnell uh, gave sort of an excoriating speech explaining uh, why the president bears moral responsibility for this event. But he also said, uh, as a matter of procedure, this was not an appropriate uh, process for uh, moving ahead. So, uh, so how did how did Republican senators generally explain their votes? But you're right. Uh, almost all of them that that explained their votes uh, mentioned this jurisdictional argument uh, that uh, the Senate has no power to try an ex president. What can I do? My my hands are tied by the Constitution this one time. And uh, you know, we talked about that argument here before. Uh, it's a defensible reading of the constitutional text, even if I don't think it's the 
the best reading. Uh, I think the Senate clearly had power and jurisdiction here. But if you're a senator and you genuinely believe the, the Constitution tied your hands here, uh, there was nothing stopping you from doing what Mitch McConnell did, which is, you know, condemn in very harsh terms the president's conduct and make it clear that if you had the power, if you thought you had the power, you you would have otherwise been inclined to impeach. That's what McConnell did. He called Trump's behavior unconscionable, disgraceful. He's morally responsible for for that disgraceful day and so on and so forth. Uh, most of the rest did not do that, uh, which makes it look like this uh, constitutional argument was kind of cover for ducking the issue of uh, Trump's high co- crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, in there, you know, most of the, the senators who cited this argument were completely mum about, uh, you know, whether the president was, didn't take a position one way or the other. Um, in a couple of tallies that have been done just uh, of Republican statements after the vote, uh, both of them find only a uh, 13 out of 43 Republicans who voted to acquit uh, bothered to criticize Donald Trump at all in their post-vote statements. Um, and even some of those, of the, the 13 that, that thought it was important to say, not a great idea to uh, rally up a violent mob to sack the Capitol. Uh, you know, he was at least reckless about that. About that. Uh, you know, some of the condemnations are pretty tepid. Uh, Senator John Boozman from Arkansas said Trump bears some responsibility. Uh, John Cornyn said that, uh, you know, too many public officials, including the president, have used reckless and incendiary speech. So even among the 13 Republicans who managed to acknowledge that there was something wrong here, uh, some of them did so pretty tepidly. Did anybody defend the president? Well, in the post vote statements, uh, not, you know, you don't see really full throated defenses of the president. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, last time around, uh, there were actually a few senators w- when he was impeached for uh, trying to use military aid in the Ukraine as a leverage to get uh, an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden. Um, a number of the senators that time uh, basically echoed uh, his self-congratulatory uh, assessment that it had been a perfect call. Uh, I haven't seen anything quite that uh, over the top here. Um, I should say, just to put this in historical context, if you go back just over 20 years ago, uh, the Democratic senators who voted to acquit President Clinton in 1999 uh, nearly every one of them uh, just condemned Clinton's behavior in the harshest possible terms as abhorrent, deplorable on every level, disgraceful, reprehensible. Uh, Diane Feinstein, after the uh, acquittal vote, was still trying to get a censure resolution uh, condemning him for uh, inconscionable and reckless behavior. Uh, so, you know, I remember that impeachment. I remember uh, being pretty angry with the uh, the unified block of Democratic senators that voted to acquit. Um, but however you want to describe what Bill Clinton was impeached for, and I think uh, 
he should have been impeached for what he did. It's uh, arguably less serious than what uh, Trump did in the weeks leading up to and including January 6th. Uh, arguably. Arguably. You could make that argument. You could make the argument that it's uh, uh, worse than covering up the, the Watergate burglary. Um, so in, in their post-vote statements, uh, there's a lot of equivocation, uh, but there's also a real low light reel of, uh, uh, you might call it defining presidential deviancy down uh, in the months and weeks leading up to the uh, to, to the Senate vote to acquit. Uh, just before the trial started, uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, South Carolina, told Fox News that, uh, you know, he'd been in the chamber uh, in on January 6th. He was rolling up his sleeves and to get ready to fight if he had to. Uh, but he said, the one person I don't blame is for, for all of this is Donald Trump. Uh, you know, you had uh, a number of the senators as well who embraced the, this argument that this summer, many Democrats had uh, made excuses for urban violence uh, associated with the uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And, you know, in the abstract, I, I, I think they had a they had a point there w with some of that, but it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the impeachment trial, the uh, second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. I mean, if you if the other side had been soft on rioters, you'd think that the way to go is to shame them by force of uh, your moral example, uh, show that you you are not uh, an apologist for riots. Instead, the fact that there are riot apologists on the other side became an excuse for acquitting your riot apologist. It's all in all, uh, you know, we've drifted pretty far from uh, the daddy party or the uh, party of personal responsibility. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Minority Leader at one point said that, uh, you know, in a way, when you think about it, we, all of us, everybody, bear some sort of responsibility for what happened on January 6th. Now, I was at home. I wasn't doing anything. But uh, uh, really, really uh, not your father's Republican Party uh, in that sense. There were some uh, senators who talked about the First Amendment and due process. These were arguments made by Trump's attorneys. There's a photo of them fist bumping on the tram underneath the the Capitol afterwards, after they had secured the president's acquittal. Um, if I understand the things that you've said here uh, and elsewhere correctly, those were not at issue. No, it's a terrible argument. I mean, the argument is essentially that uh, that criminal law standards and the high bar that the, uh, the Supreme Court rightly sets to uh, prosecuting somebody for, for uh, political speech is what goes on in an impeachment trial, that if you uh, couldn't be sent to jail for it, uh, you can't be, uh, you can't lose your job over it. Uh, that That's just a, it, it's a terrible argument that ignores most of impeachment history. Uh, two of the first three in, impeachments involved uh, what would otherwise be protected political speech, the impeachment of uh, the first president to be impeached, uh, Andrew Johnson involved, at least in part, uh, some 
uh, inflammatory and scandalous speeches that, that he'd given. So uh, you can't have a standard that says that if you can't send someone to jail for criminal incitement, that uh, he's home free uh, when it comes to impeachment. That's not the way impeachment has ever worked. How would these senators explain the inclusion of the impeachment penalty in the Constitution if the bar is no different than it would be in a criminal court? Well, it'd be kind of strange and superfluous (laughs) that uh, everything, the assumption would be that uh, everything that you can impeach someone for, you can also criminally prosecute them. But they're two different systems uh, with two different uh, fundamental goals. The criminal law makes it hard for you to, you have to prove every element of a statutory crime uh, and uh, because you're, you're going to be putting someone in jail. Impeachment has uh, a protective function. Uh, impeachment it also does not uh, result in either the, the penalties uh, uh, that are outlined for impeachment are limited to removal from office and possible disqualification for future office. So we're, we're talking about two different universes of consequences and two systems that have uh, very different purposes. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want to say that uh, unless a public official commits a felony <laughs> that could be Uh, proven to a jury of his peers that he can suffer no employment consequences whatsoever for behavior, no matter how egregious it is. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Trump uh, feels vindicated by this. And I, I kind of think he is correct to feel that way. Eh, It's not much of a vindication uh, as I get it's an achievement of some sort to have been impeached and acquitted uh, in the Senate twice, uh, given that we've had, uh, you know, he's had 50 percent of the Senate impeachment trials of a president in the space of a little over a year. Uh, I wouldn't call that vindication. The fact is, we've never because, again, Richard Nixon quit before the hammer could drop. We've never removed the president in a Senate trial. Uh, so we've only had one Senate trial of a president, uh, the first one, Andrew Johnson's in 1868, where the outcome was really in doubt and it was kind of a nail biter. Uh, so the way things have worked out, uh, it's the expressive function of impeachment. It's sort of the, the blackening of a president's record and the mark of shame that it puts on a president's legacy that is where it has real bite. I don't think having been uh, achieved a land speed record in terms of presidential impeachments is really going to aid uh, his quest for to regain the presidency uh, if indeed he, he ever runs. It's hard to, to, it's early days yet and hard to see how things will play out. But the fact remains that uh, despite his ability to command uh everyone's attention practically all the time. Donald Trump is historically hugely unpopular president. Uh, he never won the popular vote in presidential approval ratings. He never cracked 50%. Uh, his average over four years, according to Gallup, is 41% approval, which is four points lower than any of his predecessors. And they've been 
uh, tracking presidential approval since the second uh, Roosevelt administration. Uh, this is not uh, a, a popular, this is someone who commands a cult following uh, and some rabid supporters, as we saw on January 6th, but he, he's not a someone that is a historically popular and formidable president. So, in fact, the polling on impeachment uh, to 56, 58 percent of the country this last time around wanted him uh, convicted and disqualified from from future office. Uh, the numbers for Nixon didn't get that uh, high when they were polling uh, you know, Nixon, whether Nixon should be removed from office. Didn't get that high until August of 1974, shortly before he quit. So. You wouldn't put this together as a you know, famous last words, but you wouldn't put this picture together as an argument for uh, him having a, a fantastic chance at, at becoming president in 2024. All right. So of the seven Republicans who crossed party lines to vote to convict the president, state parties have censured some of the House members who voted for impeachment initially, are these guys going to get primaried and are they are they done? We'll have to see. Uh, there's a myth that uh, the Republicans who voted, the, the, that, that Republicans who didn't back Nixon in 1974 uh, suffered disproportionately. Uh, that turns out really not to be, be true. They, they actually outperformed uh, Nixon loyalists in succeeding elections. But we're in a much more polarized uh, environment than we were in 1974. Uh, it, certainly you've seen because of the cult following that, that Donald Trump has within the Republican Party and, and among the base, uh, you know, you've seen any number of political figures that have crossed him that have either lost or have gone into early retirement. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, you know, this is definitely uh, a different GOP uh, than, than 45 or so years ago. Uh, you know, in fact, the, uh, the, the day that Trump was acquitted on, on Saturday, just after the vote, the the House Judiciary, uh, the Republican House Judiciary Twitter feed sent out this picture of a, a you know, a, a gratified looking Trump holding up a newspaper with the headline acquitted, uh, you know, sort of crowing that he'd been vindicated. Uh, you know, by contrast, uh, eventually all 17 Republican members of the Nixon era House Judiciary Committee condemned Nixon's behavior. So we're in different territory here. We'll have to see what uh, what'll happen with these. Uh, we can't tell at, the, at this stage, but yeah, I, I, I think for, for certain they took a pretty serious risk uh, doing what they thought was right. The Senate Republicans, the Senate GOP Twitter account uh, tweeted out, well, that was a waste of time. So what does this say about the future of impeachment? There have been predictions that, you know, Lindsey Graham the other day was saying, well, Kamala Harris will be impeached by this standard. I'm sure he's terrified. 
And there have been warnings that uh, because Trump has been impeached uh, twice in a little over a year, that now the Pandora's box is open and we're going to have just a a rush of food. We're going to impeach every president, uh, you know, maybe multiple times a term. Uh, I've often thought that, you know, for a long time, I've thought that uh, we don't impeach presidents enough. uh, So I'm not particularly worried about uh, an increase in the base rate uh, four or five times over 230 plus years. Uh, But I wouldn't extrapolate from the Trump experience and say that, uh, you know, therefore we can expect uh, impeachments at least every presidential term. I don't think that's going to happen. The Trump experience was not normal pretty much across the board. Uh, And impeachment, as we've seen, uh, is a cumbersome weapon to, to wheel out. Uh, and it only tends to happen when uh, the conditions are are right for for it. And it, uh, I I can't expect. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect this to become a regular thing. I do have some worries in the other direction, actually, uh, because over these two impeachments in in uh, the Trump presidency, uh, there's been a total Republican flight from responsibility. Uh, you know, the first time around, uh, only one uh, Republican vote, uh, Mitt Romney's in the Senate, uh, a number of the senators uh, in the uh, in Trump's first impeachment actually endorsed the theory offered by uh, Trump's lawyers that uh, abuse of power was not impeachable. They said this is a, a made up theory. It's never been part of impeachment which is just nuts. I mean, you know, Richard Nixon would, would have liked to have known that if it were true. And uh, this time around, uh, most of them use this jurisdictional argument as a way of uh, avoiding addressing the merits. They didn't, they, they, if that was their sincere conviction, they could vote that way, uh, but still put down a marker uh, about uh, the enormities of January 6th. They mostly didn't. Uh, So there's a danger that uh, they've set a bit of a precedent that uh, uh, impeachments for even something that approaches uh, a constitutional test case, something that's in some ways close to uh, testing Donald Trump's uh, notorious boast that he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. Even in these circumstances, uh, you're only going to get a minority of the opposing party to to go along with it. Uh, Jonathan Rauch of the Brookings Institution was writing about that the other day, and he said that this is in a way like a informal an informal amendment to the Constitution. That uh, you know what the the Republican flight from responsibility over these two impeachments it sort of is informally amended the Constitution to strip out the impeachment provisions and signal to future presidents that you know that they can act with impunity and not worry too much about the possibility uh, of impeachment and removal i i think there's that that's that's a genuine cause for concern and if jonathan rauch is right about that 
I think Republicans, as well as the rest of us, are really going to come to to regret the standard that they've set. Gene Healy is author of the Cato paper, Indispensable Remedy. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.